Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. So I stayed, I'm sorry, so I stayed with my dad my senior year of high school. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. So we were, as quote, we were best friends. And wow. then it went from that to just kind of like nothing. Wow. Everything changed almost overnight. Yeah. And How'd you process that? Welcome to the Dear Son Podcast. This is a safe space where men share their fatherhood journey. These conversations are transparent and more importantly, vulnerable. Now, because each fatherhood story is situationally nuanced, some topics are heavier than others. The commonality found amongst all the guests is a genuine desire to help and inspire other men through telling their story. And now, here's your host, Derek Johns. Derek Johns. All right, let's get it. Welcome to the Dear Son Show. We have conversations about fatherhood. It's forefathers, those with fathers, and the fatherless, so nobody's left out. These are conversations that I want my son to have access to as he matures through life. So no topics are really out of bounds. Um, sir, yes, sir. As you can hear, the, the rumblings of a guest, you guys don't have to deal with me again. We got a great guest Exciting. Had to tap in with the young folks again. Mr. <laughs> Forrest Brooks, welcome to the Dead Sun Show. How are you, my brother? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I feel blessed and honored, man. Oh, blessed and honored. Appreciate you being here, man. You got an interesting, uh, you got an interesting dialogue going on, what I see on your Instagram page. And yes, uh, you framed it as the couch, correct? Yes, sir. Talk a little bit about that because I want people to, uh, I like to share the platform. I want people to know what the guests are doing too. So let's let's get that out of the way early. So the couch goes way back to when I was about 22, 23. My sister's husband, um, his name is Ryan Perkins. He's a pastor in Louisiana. And some of my toughest conversations were had because he has a unique gift of seeing something you're going through without you having to say a word. He can pull it out of you. Mm. And a lot of that happened while I was sitting on his couch. Gotcha. You know, it wouldn't happen like at a, a bar or the park. Or at church, it would be us at, at the crib, and we would just be sitting there watching TV, and then he would just start talking. Gotcha. And it wouldn't be him trying to, like, preach to me. It would just be conversation. Gotcha. And what's and the pastor's name again? Ryan Perkins. Ryan Perkins, shout out to you. Is he still alive? He is. Cool. Mm-hmm. Shout yeah. out to you. He's, he's a pastor of a church, um, Pure in Heart Ministries. It's in Louisiana. Louisiana. Is New that Orleans. where you're from? No, sir. So my family is from hey, Louisiana. Look, no, no more sirs, bro. It's a common courtesy, <laughs> man. No more sirs, man. We'll, we'll get to your age in a second, but he, he trying to. I, I know the grays are coming through. Oh, man. You see my, my struggle afro growing, man. We're trying to get there, but uh, no more For sirs, sir. bro. I got you. I got you. Um, so, no, my family is from Louisiana, Monroe okay. mostly. Um, I was born in Maryland, and as soon as I was born, we moved to Connecticut. So Maryland, the state? Yes. Okay, yes, cool. Yeah. You're East Coast for real. East Coast, definitely, mm. through and through, yeah. So I was raised in Connecticut. As soon as I graduated, I mean, as soon as I graduated, like I walked the stage, and then an hour later, I left to Louisiana because wow. my mom was here. Gotcha. So, um, and then it was, no, I left to Texas, excuse me, and then I moved around the South a few times to Louisiana, okay. back and forth to Texas. But yeah. Okay. What was early life like? I didn't realize you were an East Coaster, probably... Um I don't know. I don't know if that should have jumped out of me. And now I'm an East Coaster. That's why it's resonating. Right, I'm from yeah. Virginia. Um, what, what was life like in uh, in Connecticut early days? Well, I love Connecticut. I love my I love my home. Um, I was bullied growing up, so oh. in the grand scheme of things, it wasn't the best. You know, okay. uh, you know the 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 best experience. But my family, I had a loving church, so it balanced out. You know, I had a I had one life with my with my church. I had one life at home. My father was present um, growing up, and so I had my circle of friends from different cities. I hung out with them all the time. Mm. So I had a very, I had a very um, fortunate upbringing. You know, I had a family, I had friends, a church, a loving community. Um, but I was bullied at school. Gotcha. And you know, when you're young, you don't see that. All you see is you don't see the the blessings you have. You just see the curses. You know, the the picking on, right. 
the the comparison. So um, in the grand scheme of it, I had a, I had a good upbringing, um, but I had some tough moments because I was bullied. Yeah. Do you remember where it started and stopped, or did it stop in during your 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 school? As far as the bullying, went? yeah, the bullying, yeah. It started. Um, I would say when I was about twelve or thirteen, because mm-hmm. that's when I kind of like. It, it, it became obvious that I was going to be small because I'm, yes. I'm not a big guy. So um, and then on top of that, I was high headed. So mm. people could get a reaction out of me very easily when I was younger. And, you know, it became a thing like, man, just pick on pick on Forrest. Man, he's going he's going to get uh, mad and it's going to be a scene. And you can cause it. And then on top of that, I wasn't a, a rough kid growing up. So, I mean, and then I had a, I went to a magnet school, which means they bring kids from all over the city. Gotcha. And some kids in there were rough. And so they would pick and choose who they would pick on and I'll be the one because I'm, you know, easy to pick on pretty much because I'll give that reaction. How far did the hot head go? Was it just, uh, just that's just how it started and and somebody else would end it or did you? Um, it started, I was never, I was never a punk. So anything yeah. that I got into, I knew I'd have to throw my hands and sure. have to back up my mouth. So I won some, I lost some. And um, I think the worst it got was when I got jumped after school and um that beef was so bad between me and that young man that it was actually a grade beef. So like the kids in my grade and the kids in his grade started wow. going at each other. So they had to sit me and my, my mom down, him and his parents down and it got, it got like that. Gotcha. And I ended up switching schools next year because it was just, you know. Gotcha. And you mentioned your father was in your life. Was it all growing up? Growing up. Yeah. What phases was he there? Well, yeah. let's, let's stay with the bullying phase. Was he there during the, the he bullying was, phase? But he didn't know much about it. Um, because my father, my mom was the nurturer. She was the one that really checked in and like the, the emotions, Mm -hmm. you know, the, uh, the nurturing part of that, the maturation process. My dad was always there, but me and my dad didn't really have, you know, like emotional conversations or like, you know, what are you going through conversations? Yeah. Um, he was more of a symbol, a very strong symbol. He's more of a symbol than. You know what my mom was, so yeah. she's the one that knew most of it. My dad, he knew of it because I mean they were married, they talked, but okay. we didn't have those conversations that much. Okay, yeah. What what did you what did you gain from your father the way that he treated you? Like, what was the most memorable? What impacted you the most about your relationship? And I and I'll frame it for you because my father, I had a great father too, mm-hmm. right? Uh, in the home, wanted the best for me. We didn't have meaningful not. We didn't have a lot of in-depth conversations. Okay. Right? I saw him model something mm-hmm. and I knew that was the tone that he was going to set. So any deviations from that, I wasn't comfortable bringing to him in a conversation. Makes sense. So it was a lot of stuff that I hear from him. We didn't have a lot of conversations. Right. And he's from the school of be seen, not heard. Right. His mm-hmm. father didn't talk to him. Right. So there's a right. whole history there. So he's learning. He recognized that but he's learning how to be a father. Um, and he didn't have a really great um model in terms of communication right that was a provider but you know it the further you go back generationally you'll see that right so that's a common thing Mm -hmm. um but like how did it how did it impact you early like when did you recognize that that was something that you weren't getting from your father or did you ever feel like that i didn't get that until man it's tough talk about this i didn't get that until he remarried so my father um he was promiscuous. Okay. He stepped outside of my mother, um, outside, outside the marriage. And I thought it was a one-time thing, but it was actually a, 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 a it was a lifestyle for him. Right. And I didn't know that part until I was older. She did. She kept that from me, which I understand why. But um, so when my dad remarried, he remarried with the mindset that since I messed up the first time with, with I'm not going to let this one fail. Got it. So he directed a lot of his energy towards that. Yeah. And that happened when I was about maybe 17, I want to say. Gotcha. Right on the precipice of me being a man. So um, I didn't, I've never felt like my dad kept things from me as far as like him pouring into me, him raising me, things of that nature. Because even after him and my mom split, he was still there around. It's just when I graduated mm-hmm. and when I left, that kind of was the end of that. Okay. Everything changed after that. How much of his new relationship was was in your face? And if it was, did it cause resentment or like, 
it sounded like there may have been some kind of strain to the relationship at some point, but I like, how, how did that happen? If it happened <laughs> to be truthful, the funny thing is it wasn't in my face at all. That's mm-hmm. the, that's the irony. Um, I don't want to put this kind of energy out there because I don't know for sure. But from what I've heard, as far as my sister, because my sister and my dad are a lot closer than me and my dad are. Um, From what I've heard from her, my mother, and then people on his side of the family that I've talked to that have talked to me. um, She alienated him from us. Like they got together and she slowly started. And I I felt the change. His new, his, his new, new his new wife. Okay. Alienated him from, from us. Uh. Um, so it wasn't in my face at all. Right. It was pretty much out, out of sight, out of mind. Yeah. And I think over the years it went from, you know, oh, he's busy. Yeah. Went from that to, well, I mean, he's focused on, I mean, he did his job. I'm 18 now. Right. Went from that. Like I just kept trying to, you know, until finally I said, you know what? It is what it is. He's, right. he's not probably not coming back and that's okay. I mean, that he's a, he's a grown man. He can make that decision. That's what I was thinking. Right. You know, growing up. Yeah, I'd imagine there's a conflict, right? Because any if you take any other scenario where you're given a second chance, right? You try to, you hopefully apply the lessons that you learned the first time. But that usually means a person or group of people got hurt in the process, mm-hmm. right? And then there's this new life with the new family. Um, at that stage, so at that stage, that's where you went to Texas. Right, right. Right out of Texas. Uh, why? That, your mom was? She was in Texas, yeah. So I stayed, I'm sorry. So I stayed with my dad, my senior year of high school. Gotcha. Right. Gotcha. So we were, as quote, we were best friends. And wow. then it went from that to just kind of like nothing. Wow. Everything changed almost overnight. Yeah. And how'd you process that? Oh, I guess. Oh, wh- when did you realize that it had changed? Because that's a very abrupt. You were there. Did you know at graduation that things were going to be different? Or no, no at graduation, idea. it was the plan to go live with your mom. That's just what it was. Mm-hmm. And then not only the physical space, but the, I guess the relation. Yeah. But the, space. the crazy thing is it didn't really affect me that much at first okay. because one thing you asked a question earlier, what, what core lessons did I learn from my father as yeah. he was one of the main things I learned and just by watching him was um, his level of poise with everything. My dad, I've seen my dad lose his temper one time, maybe. Hmm. And I mean, lose his temper just one time. And um, this is over, you know, yeah. my entire childhood. Even when he was upset with me and, you know, he would discipline me. Of course, he would, you know, discipline me and, you know, be stern. But I've never seen him lose his temper just one time. And I heard it. I didn't even see that. I just heard it, overheard it. Hmm. And so um, something that I paid attention to over all the years was his poise and his his soundness in his mind. Okay. So when he would explain certain things to me, he would have such a poise about it and such a calm about it. Yeah. And so I picked that up over the years. So when I switched high schools, I made a decision to not be high-headed anymore. I woke up and said, I don't want to be this anymore. I don't want to be angry. I don't want to be, a, a, you know, you know, gangbang. I don't want to be any of that anymore. Right. Yeah. And so I just overnight woke up and said, bro, I don't want to be that guy. I don't. And I had a model to go about, which is my dad. Right. And so, um, yeah. Being that way growing up, it kind of taught me to process things in a quiet manner, not hide it, but to just process things in a, in a quiet manner. Yeah. And so when this happened, um, it was a thing where, of course, I started noticing it, but it didn't make me feel away okay. for a long time. It did eventually, but um, it didn't make me feel away because yeah. I love my dad. I would never turn my back on him. And people would tell me, like, man, I would hate my dad. I would. He left you hanging for a girl. And I'm like, bro, I'm not going to hate my father. I can't. I can't do that. Yeah. You know, especially since I was my best friend growing up, you know, I just can't do it. Poise is a very um, intentional characteristic or the way to to, to label uh, his mannerisms. Yeah. You said you picked that up. How has that helped and hindered you as a man? Man, um, <laughs> I'm gonna be I'm gonna be I'm gonna be blunt. That's um, cool. I feel like black men nowadays have extreme lack of poise. Mm. Um the way that they, the way information is disseminated, the way that we process certain things, how we receive information, how we how we gain the knowledge um, is not what it used to be. Mm. And there's so much information overload. But something that's lacking in all that information is how do you process anger? How do you process when things don't go your way? Right. How do you act when something happens and you don't have the emotional response that you lash out, 
Do you get upset? Do you shift blame? What, what do you do? Right. And if nothing else, being poised taught me to to think first, act second. Gotcha. Because I wasn't always like that. I was, like I said, I was hot headed. I right. had everything to say. Like, if you try to disrespect me, I'm gonna let you know that's not gonna happen. Right. And if you continue, it's gonna be a problem. We could, we could settle it. It was always something where I had to one up someone because I felt disrespected. And then when I sat and thought about it, I said, dude, why not just chill for a second? Just be cool. You don't always have to respond to everything. Like, just right. because you're having a bad day or because you feel like you wanna do something to me, I don't have to feed into that. Right. You know, so and I think being poised allowed me space and time to think, because, you know, as a man, when things happen, you have a split second to respond sometimes. A lot of time. Yeah. And it's like not you don't respond the best way all the time because your your emotions are going. You know, it's it's hard to, to really focus in on what you want to say, what you want to do. And then the idea of you not getting your point across to whatever's going on makes you even more upset. Mm-hmm. It's like a bunch of emotions is clashing. If you just be poised about it and take a take a deep breath. Yeah. Now, I'm not perfect. I lose my temper. You know, I'm, I'm human. Sure. Um, but being poised definitely helped me in life because it, it taught me to, to, to think before you act, think mm-hmm. before you speak, and think before you break certain situations down, too. Because the first thing you see isn't always what it is. Right. You have to be careful about how you how you receive things. Right. And that helps being receptive as well. Yeah. So. That, that's a great point because you got to be you got to be conscious of your state of mind as you initially saw or received the information, right? Maybe right. maybe there was something uh, distracting you from seeing it for what it really is. And if mm-hmm. you react on a misinterpreted uh, piece of information, you know, that could be that could be bad for, for you and, and all parties involved. So you moved from Connecticut to Texas. What was that what what was the major difference between Living with your father that final year and adjusting to living with your mother in Texas, or was there an adjustment? No, major adjustment. Let's hear it. Because the the first adjustment was the people. The people mm. in Texas are a lot different than Connecticut. Yeah. <laughs> um, a lot, a lot different. Yeah. So I had to learn how to speak. Mm-hmm. Not speak, but I had to learn how to convey my messages, articulate myself differently because I would come down to the south. And I would talk like this, like, how you doing, B? What's going on with it? Like, you know how people in from East Coast talk? We talk like this, and it's real heavy, and we... Pause. What part of Connecticut are you from? Hartford, the B. The B. Yeah, the 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 the, the grimy as well. <laughs> I know Hartford. Offline yeah. conversation, but I know Hartford. Yeah, yeah Hartford yeah. is interesting. Um, what's right next to it? It's, oh, man. It's Windsor, Bloomfield, Springfield. What What is it? It'll come to me. I'm sorry. West Hartford, New Haven, New Haven, New Haven. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Rough yeah. area. Yeah, yeah. Rough area. Yeah. yeah. Offline yeah. conversation. My Offline. Yeah. yeah, it's all good. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it was people. adjustment. Yeah, I had to learn it. I had to talk different. I had to walk different. You know, Connecticut is different. We get yeah. two haircuts a week. We iron our clothes. We starch our clothes. We dress well. So I came down here, and I had a bunch of guys shooting at me. I'm like, Mom, why? Why so many men shooting at me? She said, Well, son, you look like you you you're well groomed. And I said, Okay, what does that mean? And it's just, it's an adjustment because I got my eyebrows, like I got everything, like I took you care of myself. You guys shooting at you? Shooting they shot, definitely. All the time. Oh. All the time. That needed was, an interpretation because I yeah. was tripping. I'm sorry, shoot, shooting the shot all the time. <laughs> okay. And I'm like, do I look? Certainly, yeah. I have nothing against, you know, the that, community, but it no just, it shocked me because I'm like, why? Like, why is it happening? And she said, well, because typically that's not what happens down here. Wow. So I had to learn a whole different lifestyle pretty much. Wow. And then also on top of that, I was learning a different church lifestyle because I grew up in Kojic Church, Church of God in Christ. Very, very strict, yep. rules oriented. Um, taught me very core lessons in life, some great core lessons. But yep. then I got to the South and the first church I went to was all about relationship. So they were talking about, man, it's okay to mess up. And I said, what? No, no, it's not. Yep. I can't mess up. That's, that's not how this goes. Like, who taught you that? Yeah. And it's, it's like a whole, it's like everything was a shock. The, the women, how the men talk, the, the alphaism in the men yeah. is different than Connecticut. You know that it's, yeah. everything is just different. And then my mom, so my mom was a lot, I don't want to use the word more, she was more patient, but I want to say she was a little less pushy. Okay. To, you know, and um, I think ultimately, you know, mom, she, moms loves, loves her sons. Yeah. And so- I think in a way I kind of got comfortable and I shouldn't have, mm. but that was a tough adjustment too. You shouldn't have got comfortable. Shouldn't have got comfortable. No. What do you mean? So I got used to, um, 
I'm going to just put it out there. Like when I came to the South, I had a job in Connecticut. I didn't like it. I hated it. When I came to the South, I was so rooted in being in ministry that I didn't want anything else to distract me. So I didn't want to get another job. I didn't want to pick up any trades. I didn't want to do that because in my mind, because of what I knew growing up, it has to be church everything. God everything. Church everything. No matter what. God everything. Church everything. Because, you know, Kojic... Monday night prayer meeting, Tuesday night choir meet. Like it's just. I was gonna ask which day were you not in the church? There was no day. Okay, no day. Yeah. Maybe, maybe Saturday, and that was church too because we played basketball with the youth minister in the <laughs> in the park. So, and that was yes. the scripture there too. So it's like every day. I understand. Day. It. I, I understand the very um, rules and and deeply disciplined religion. So I grew up very good at religion, terribly relationship. Right. This this change or this um this different approach to understanding God that's introducing the necessity of relationship to you, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. How, how has that helped develop you? Or is that even a fair question, I guess? Right? Because you said that there was a difference between this and that. I'm assuming that you um that you gravitated to the 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 importance of the relationship. So if that's not a fair assumption. No, it's it's a fair question. Um I'll say this. Two different teaching styles both have pros and cons to it. Um and utility. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And the thing the thing that I had to come to understand is that it's not because there's a there's a and I'm not saying this about all Christians or all denominations but from what I experienced, there was a sort of a tension between the denominations mm. and the church styles, the preaching styles. And so not only am I receiving different doctrine, different yeah. word, I'm also receiving a little bit of, you know, under the table yeah. tension. And there, I'm, I'm getting this, this, this perception that their teaching isn't as good as this teaching. Yeah. Or their teaching isn't as good as that teaching. Well, like here's one, why that teaching is wrong. A lot of, <laughs> a lot of what I heard from circles that I was in in Connecticut was mega church pastors weren't weren't yeah. good. They were yeah. focused on money. They were focused on image and all this stuff. So I went into it already kind of by, like, you know, by, so I went into it with a preconceived notion. Right. And so, um, but as I got older, I learned there are pros and cons to both. I, now I greatly appreciate the upbringing I had in that Kojic church sure. because it laid the foundation for me and knowing how to act, mm-hmm. how to carry myself. If you want to, if you want to, represent God in a certain way, you want to represent anything, you need to understand what that comes with yeah. and what those requirements might be. Yeah. You know, I can't say that I want to be an NBA all-star and I never practice. Or I can't say that I want to be yeah. the president of the Basketball Players Association, but I'm out here, you know, like killing people or doing yeah. things, you know, that you, sh- you shouldn't do. Yeah. And your so it's conflicting with your goals or your right. state goals. Right. What, what else was different? Um, let me back up. How old are you now? 31. 31. Mm-hmm. What phase of life did you mature the most? If you had to pick a three to five year window, what, what, what phase did you say would that most inform who you are today, changed you, impacted you in some way? This one. This phase. Right now? I'm in it right now. S- starting now, or can we back up a couple of years? About a year and a half. About a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Let's 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 put a pen in that. We're going to get to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still want to get this, this twenties, right? Because I'm listening, you listening to you through the lens of my behavior, looking okay. at my son in the corner of my eye. Right. And right. what, what to expect or how does he see the world? Or how would, how will it play out for him? Mm-hmm. How did, how did your, your twenties play out? If you were to ask me that question a few years ago, I would say it's time wasted. I just wasted because I spent so much of my 20s worrying about not making it, worrying about money, worrying about who I was, how people saw me, my image, because something I didn't touch on is I experienced an intense church hurt at the beginning of my 20s. Let's talk about it. Um, So I was at church hurt, church hurt. Definitely. Um, I don't want to say the church name, but but I was a part of a mega church ministry. And when I first got there, um, I was 18 years old, right? And they had a rule, and this is a megachurch, so they have a main ministry and then a youth ministry, mm-hmm. a main, you know, main sanctuary, youth sanctuary type of thing. And when I first got there, they told me, um, you know, well, they told everyone, 
the, the rule was you can't be in the youth ministry or, you know, in this in this function if you're 18 and up or if you're a graduate like out of high school. Okay. That you cannot be. You cannot be there. Okay. So now I just graduated and I'm 18. So although I'm going, I know. I'm so sorry. Excuse no. Me. I'm so sorry. Um, Even though I'm going, I know that I can't keep going. So I start to pull back a little bit. Well, one of the leaders comes to me and says, hey, you know, people look up to you, right? This is my introduction to youth ministry. Hmm. And I said, nah, I mean, because I, I was a, mind you, I got bullied growing up. So yeah. that kind of taught me to just kind of be to myself. But yeah, he came to me and he said, man, you know, they look up to you. Like everyone always asks about you when you don't show up. Like you haven't been here. Like what's going on? Like, how are you okay? And I'm thinking, I'm answering his questions. And he said, man, do you want to stick around? And I said, I mean, what would I, I can't, like I'm too old. He said, no, you can be a student, like a, a student teacher here. Hmm. And I was honored because this is a, a mega church ministry and right. they want me to. So I felt honored. I was like, man, if that's what you want, I, I'd love to. And so that started my whole youth ministry journey. Mm -hmm. And um, well, about, I would say two or three months later, maybe even four months later, um, I'm still with the ministry. People are starting to know who I am now because I'm, I'm around and they see my face. And um, now I'm meeting, you know, all these pastors, these musicians, these these people that are like really well known. And it's, you know, it's a, it's an interesting life. Um, well, there was a girl. Always the start of the There story. was a girl, yeah. yeah. And the girl I had met in the main sanctuary. So we started to talk a little bit, but I noticed things she would say, like the classes she would take. And I'm like, that's a, that's a high school class. So, so I straight up asked her, I said, how, how old are you? Now this is, I want to frame this right because it's not like I asked her months in. I asked her about, about a month, a month in because mm -hmm. for a month, mind you, I'm a Christian. So I'm taking things very slow. Right. I'm not trying to link up with you, chill with you. I'm not trying to like do anything that I'm just trying to like talk to you, check on you, how you doing? Yeah. God bless you. Praying for you. Like, you know, churchies, cause I'm still in that. In church that, boy. Yeah. Church boy. Yeah. So, um, it didn't, we didn't start having meaning, meaningful conversations until about a month and a half, two months in. Mm. And um, that's when I started really picking up things she would say. And I'm like, okay. And so finally I said, can I ask you a question? How, how old are you? And then she told me she was a senior in high school. Uh, so, now mind you. You're I one year out. One year out, yeah, she's senior she's in high school. school. But either way, she was like, she she was 16 at the time. Gotcha. So she had done like the, the I don't, I, I have been new to Texas, so I don't really know how the schooling works, but yeah. she had done classes the whole time leading up. So she graduated Celebrated, early. Yeah. And so, um. I'm 18, mm -hmm. she's 16. In the grand scheme of it, 18 and 16, it's a two-year difference, especially yeah. with her turning 17. I mean, it wouldn't be something that would cause a big deal. Right. But seeing that she fell in in the category, pretty much the age range of the youth church, yes. it couldn't happen. Right. So I found out how old she was. I went to the pastor at the time. Me and him were click tight, so I thought. And I said, man, like I got to tell you something. He said, what's up? Talk to me. And I said, you know, there's a girl that I like. He said, oh, who is it? You know, he's excited because, I mean, I'm, I've been there for months and I haven't, he's never seen me with the girl. So, I mean, who is it? And I said her name. And he said, man, she's beautiful. Like, she, she's cool. But, you know, she falls in line with the, with the youth. Yeah. And I said, I, I know. That's why I'm talking to you about it. And he said, yeah, man, it's not a good idea. I would just cut it off. And I did. Yeah. I, I called her the same night. I was mad about it. But in my mind, I'm like, you know, if this is what I need to do, to continue to, to serve, I'm, I'm going to do it. Now, was she thinking that this was developing into something as well? Or? Definitely. Okay, cool. Like I had met her, her mom, by the, not her mom, but I had spoken to her a couple times on the phone at this point. So we're, we're, we're getting to know each other. Gotcha. And um, so we, and we knew what it was. So call her, I tell her, she didn't like it, of course, but she had no choice but to respect it. And right. I think because she knew it was coming from a, a, a good place, she didn't have a problem with it. Mm -hmm. Um. So... Fast forward, you know, we don't hang out anymore. We don't talk as much. Yeah. I might check up on her here and there, but it's not what it used to be, right? Well, she ran away from her and her mom clash a lot, okay. like always button heads. And so I was at Cedar Valley. No, I'm sorry. I was at Mountain View College at the time, okay. Mountain View College. And so I get a phone call and it's her mom. Like, you know, she ran away from home. I can't find her. We had an argument. So now I'm kind of like panicking, like, well, where is she? I don't know. I don't know. I said, okay. I leave school. It's like maybe not like I had late classes. It was like nine at night. I leave school and it was, a, it was eight o'clock. I leave school. I find her in the park in, in Grand Prairie. Right. Mm -hmm. And so 
we end up talking, you know, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what's going on with her. She's crying. We're talking at night. Well, that night we ended up having sex that night. Right. That accelerated. Right. Um, I think it was the emotionalism of things. Yeah. I think it was just the the closeness of the conversation, the intimacy that was exchanged. That's that's something that really gets me yeah. is intimacy and conversation. Right. Um, so it ended up happening. Now, Frank, picture this. I'm feeling terrible after this happens because I'm like, man, like God trust me with these kids and I'm out here doing this. Like I'm going to get like I, I was just tripping. Like I was really guilty. Yeah. I felt super guilty. And so I reached out to my mentor at the time and well, we made, we made a, a promise, you know, like, don't tell no one stuff like that. Cause I felt bad. She felt bad. Genuinely. I genuinely felt bad. I wasn't just saying that. Yeah. And so I reached out to my mentor at the time and I told him what happened. And he said, he, 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 he talked to me about it. You know, he was stern in his like, man, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. And the third, he, he wasn't cause he was, he's more of an, I wouldn't. I don't want to use the word abrasive, but he's more of a stern, straight shooter. Straight shooter. Yeah, yeah. thank you. And so he he let me know. And then um, I also had another mentor that I talked to, a young lady. Mm-hmm. Um, looked up to her. Great, great, great young lady. And she lit, lit me up too. Mm-hmm. Just straight lit me up. Like, bro, you can't like. And it wasn't when when. And this is the thing. When Christians sometimes get mad, mm-hmm. they it, it really comes out of them. Yeah. And so like they both lit me up, which I did, which I needed it because I, I I was slipping. Well, she told one of her mentors. And after that, I can't really tell you what happened because it got so messy. Mm. Like I heard that it got around to the young adult pastor who I, who I had admiration for. Um, and it got back to me that he defended me because he knew who I was. Mm. And he said, nah, that's not what he's about. He's not because the, the rumor was I was sleeping with girls in the church. Like multiple, multiple was, yeah. girls, like not women, girls. Yeah. yeah. So the rumor got around that I was sleeping with like multiple like girls in the church. It got around that I was doing this, doing that. It got so bad that the man under the mega church pastor was like, who is this grown man having sex with girls? And like, it got really bad. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know who to trust because everyone that's saying this stuff, I'm thinking is my close friend. Because mind you, my whole life is ministry at this point. Right. All my old friends, all my old homies, I don't talk to them as much. My lifestyle is different. So I went from having like, this glowing reputation, this glowing, you know, like all of that to nothing. Because mm-hmm. I want to say about a day and a half later, I got a phone call from the the, the youth pastor mm-hmm. um, that asked me to stay. And he said, hey, man, I have a question to ask you. And it's, it's a tough question. And I, I already knew what it was about. And he said, um, did you sleep with so-and-so? And I said, yeah, this is what happened. This is how it happened. This is when it happened. This is the situation. He said, cool. Thank you for being honest. But here's what I need. Delete all of us off your Facebook. Delete all of our numbers. Can't be connected. Don't come around no more. If we see you, it's going to be a problem. Like On site. On site. Like they have your face. They have you. Like it was like straight, like don't come around. We don't want to see you. And I said, okay. And I hung up. And it didn't hit me at that point. But I was like, I thought we were like brothers, bro. Like now here's the thing. Looking back on it now, I see the risk of that, of what I did. Mm-hmm. Because if you have a brand, you have a business, you have anything. And if one of your team members or one of your employees does something that can jeopardize the brand, you have to discipline that. Yeah. And also make an example. Like There are things you have to, you know, so I understand the business aspect of it. But at the same time, I don't believe it was handled the best way. Because I, I walked away from that 18 years old thinking that, like, what just happened, bro? Like, what, what, what happened? So, short conversation sounds like. Do you think that they thought you were a threat, or just a threat, a threat to the ministry within the church, that group, or a threat to what people externally would see? I have no that idea. Brand is, and that's an interesting word to use for a church because essentially that's the, that's the difference in a lot of denominations how they brand their praise and worship, how they brand their, um, it's their identity. Yeah. Yeah. I I know where you're going. I know where you're going. Um, but I, I can't tell you, I have no idea because I couldn't talk to anyone. I was trying to apologize. I was trying to make amends not to come back just to, because the role that I had doesn't mean it it bumped that. I don't really, but the connections I had, like, don't, don't leave me hanging. Like 
if you need to sit me down, you need me to disappear, fine. But don't just drop me and forget about me. Was this because you mentioned Kojic, and I believe Kojic has the that that is a um, a discipline in the Kojic uh, community, right? To sit someone down, or is that I might be confusing it? Is there is there a formal sitting down of? I'm sure there were. I'm sure there were situations like that. But remember, in that in that span of time, I was a kid. I was, gotcha, yeah. you know, so. I and, just heard certain certain religions that people frame as strict or what have you, a very um, rule, uh, ha- have disciplined, disciplinary measures for do. messing up. And I know one of them caused it. I was, I was formally sat down and I was quieted or something like that. But it's contingent upon who you are and what you bring to the table because I've mm-hmm. seen people mm-hmm. in church. The business of it. I've seen people in church who people know what they're doing, yeah. but because if you bring, the, you sit them down, it's going to be a threat to the, to the infrastructure, to yeah. the money, to all that. They turn a blind eye. But if it's someone that has no type of like, you don't do anything for us. You're just a body that can be replaced. Yeah. Get out, bro. You, you, you'll be all right. And that's kind of what I had to deal with because my best friend, my second best, like, Every single person I was close with, I lost overnight. I couldn't talk to them. They wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to me. So that was your village, right? So I'm, I'm trying to piece it together. Last year of high school with your father, come to live with your mother. You find, um, you find friends, you find mentors, you find an extended family at this particular church. And I don't generalize churches, but your specific situation that we're talking about, mm-hmm. this became your village, right? Yeah. And... When that village dissipated, did you feel a need for your father? No, nah, because I hate I hated people. I didn't want wow. I didn't be I wouldn't I didn't want to be close to anybody. Like because I really was moving in about a week, and they had planned a going away party for me and everything. A big party they canceled it. Like it was wow. so I moved away with no one. And when is, I got is that going to Louisiana? That's going to Houston. Houston. Because my mom remarried, okay. and I ended up moving with the you know family with them to Houston. Okay. Um, yeah, I didn't. Like, it was bad. Like, I would go to with her to church and the pastor. And it's crazy. Wherever I would go, I'd always get that that energy of, man, the kids love you. Or, man, like, you, I, I like you. I would say, man, don't talk to me. Mm-hmm. To the pastor, like, bro, don't, don't talk to me. Like, I don't have nothing to say. Like, I was mad at everybody. My mom. I was mad at women. I was mad at God. I was especially mad at God. I was mad yeah. at Christians. Like, it was a on-site thing. If, if, if I see you and you represent God in any way, shape, or form, I didn't want to talk to you. Like, do not talk to me, like, straight up. And then that went on for about two or three years. Like, I was angry. How, how did that work out for you? And how did that period end? Like, was it an event driven that was there a specific event in your life or a no. revelation that? Not revelation. It was my sister's husband, Ryan Perkins. Oh. Yeah. He, um, me and my mother's new husband, uh, there was one situation. Um, he thought I took some money from him, and he ended up spazzing in. He ended up finding the money later on, but by then, the damage is done. I had, yeah. I had left. Um, and so I called my sister, and I said, I don't know what to do. And she said, just come on. We'll, we'll come get you. Get your stuff. We'll come get you. So moved in with them, and um, Ryan, Ryan Perkins, I, I would say he literally saved my life. The suicide attempts, the suicide thoughts, like all of it, it was, I was right there. And he, he brought me to, I'll never forget. He brought me to church one day. It wasn't, we didn't even have church. He just brought me to the church and he had one of his, his right hand mans with him. And he said, Hey man, can I talk to you? And I said, yeah. He said, you don't look well. Your skin is falling off your face. Like your skin is literally deteriorating. Like you look skinny. You're not eating. Like your hair's falling out. Like you don't look well. Mm-hmm. Like, I need to pray for you. Like, I need to. Now, mind you, at this point, he's slowly inching into my life as someone that I can trust. Mm-hmm. But I think he knew that people in church hurt me and it would take a person to to help mend that. Because yeah. no matter how many times I have dreams about this or I get, you know, like feelings like it doesn't matter. At the end of the day, God is going to have to use a vessel to get through to me. Yeah. And Ryan had to have so much patience because I'm telling you, I was I was a mess. So was it more so his words and conversation or his behavior that led you to? It was both. Okay. It was both. It was both. Because um, one of my favorite pastors, um, his name is Tim Ross. Hmm. Have you heard of T- Tim Ross? 
His, his Instagram is a uh, upset the gram. He's a he's a phenomenal man. Um, mm. He said something. He said, you'll probably be the only Bible people read in life. Yeah. Behavior. Pretty much. Right. Yeah. And that was so true. I didn't, if if he's watching this, if I misquoted you, my bad, bro. But um, that that was that was the case with Ryan because Ryan didn't force me to do anything. Mm-hmm. He didn't force me to get back in ministry. He didn't force me to to you know forgive God or forget. He didn't do any of that. He just he just lived. Right. He lived, and I saw how he cared. And I'm like, he's doing all this for people, and they're not doing anything for him. He's yeah. he's. Making sure someone has food in their pantry. He's making sure that they're prayed over. He's making sure the boys are taken care of. He's making sure they're they're they have someone to talk to. Yeah. And no one's there for Ryan. Like who? I mean, my sister, of course, the family. Yeah. But who's checking up on Ryan? Yeah. And it it it, it kind of broke me because it's like okay, so there really are men of God out here that really do, that really do care. Yeah. And so I think just witnessing that it 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 woke something up in me that was like I can. I can, I can, I can accept that because I had to accept the fact that there were men that are, or people in general that weren't all bad and I can trust people. Right. And that was hard too. You mentioned, um, suicide and suicidal thoughts. Yeah. And I don't, I don't want to walk down, um, a road that is going to put you back. In the no, place. we can talk about it. We can talk uh, about it. But the, the, and the reason I say that is because I don't, I think more people have those thoughts and those feelings. Mm-hmm. When they're alone in them quiet places, mm-hmm. but don't have the courage to, courage is probably the wrong word, but aren't able to articulate that to someone because they feel like they would be seen as weak or less than. Right, right. Um, in a very practical sense, if you ask somebody, have they ever considered suicide, you asking them puts them in a place to actually consider it, right? And they may give you an immediate answer because it's the right answer. Some people may say, yes, I did. Here's where I was. I was in this place and here's how I right. came out of it. And it sounds like you're more of the latter. Right. So I want, I'm asking from that perspective of truly trying to help somebody, not the shock value of you were in that place. But um, how, how did, what phase of your life did you recognize that um, at least for a short period of time that you didn't want to be here? It was... Okay, so it was after the church incident, mm-hmm. um, because that wasn't an immediate thing. Me going to Taylor and okay. Ryan's my my sister and brother in law, because we had bounced around a little bit, um, you know, back and forth to Texas. So I was in Texas before I went to Louisiana, and um, I remember there was a girl, once again, a girl that um, message. <laughs> I was messing with her and. Um, she had now we use protection, but she had told me she was pregnant, right? And it wasn't like because we did it, and because I'm a church boy, I'm not used to having sex. So like I'm asking every, I'm worried. Are you pregnant? You had your period yet? You had your period. So I'm I'm tripping because I'm also still young. I'm about like maybe 21, 20 at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm still kind of so or early twenties, maybe nineteen. It was something like that. No, 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 no. It was something like that. But so when she said she was pregnant. I was already now picture just just paint my my mind for a minute. So I'm already mad at God. I don't have the thing that gave me identity, which was ministry. I don't have my old homeboys like I used to. I don't have any friends still. I don't work that much, so I don't have anything to occupy my time. Mm. I don't have anything except in the idle mind is the devil's workshop. Idle couldn't spit it out. Yeah. So. Of course, women were my go-to. Mm-hmm. And so when this happened, I already had the sense of God is against me. He does not want me to succeed. He doesn't want me to be okay. If he did, I wouldn't have went through that over there. Like it, So I'm mad at God. I don't have any hope. And then this happens. And this girl is not someone I want to have a baby by, just straight up. Just not someone that I want to be. This was, it was a bored situation. Like I was bored and it just happened. And then now she's telling me she's expecting. Mm. So I said, you know what? And it wasn't the circumstance that drove me to it. It was a feeling of hopelessness. Mm. Like I had no hope. Because if God is against me, what hope is there for me? You right. know, like there's no coming back from that. Right. And I really thought that. I, I legitimately thought that God hated me. Just straight up. Mm. And that's the that's the part that I feel like the church that, that this happened didn't protect me in that sense. Mm. Because you can discipline someone and then let them know why. When you spank or when you discipline a child, mm-hmm. you let them know what they did wrong. Right. I didn't get that. 
I just got, oh, you did that. And that was it. The business. Cut. Everything was done. Yeah. And so I didn't have the guidance to navigate me through what I was going through. So I just formed my own opinion. No. And that opinion was God hated me. So when this happened, the, the pregnancy thing happened, I said, man, listen, why am I going to sit here and, and, and endure this life? Like, and then I'm going to bring a child into this? this what, nah, nah, nah. There's nothing to happen. Now, long story short about that situation, it wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't end up being mine. You know, gotcha. I took a test and everything. It wasn't my baby. But um, to answer your question, yeah, it was what, that what, situation. What did that experience teach you? About? Um, like going through that roller coaster of emotion, feeling that you weren't worthy to be in the world or, or bring somebody else into the world. And then you find out that um, the child is not yours. Where did that put you mentally? It put me mentally in the space of, um, it put me mentally in the space. I good. Yeah. It put me mentally in the space of going back to that poisonous, not, not overreacting. Mm. Um, because like the your father, right. Um, now in the grand scheme of it, I never really, after that, so the suicide attempt itself, I had got a bunch of pills and I had, you know, the, the, um, I had some Windex. I had just mixed a bunch of stuff and I was going to just drink it. I closed the bathroom door, turned the water, the shower on. So my mom wouldn't come in cause she's not gonna come in her son showering, but she just kept started banging on it. I don't know why, but she just did. And I just ended up doing it. I couldn't do it cause she was about to break the door down. But, um, just going, thinking about everything that I was about to do, it was like, man, if you would just relax, relax, pray, relax, mm. like calm down, relax. Because yeah. it's going to be okay. Just, just, and the the scripture that that came to me. Now I didn't even read scripture like that yet. It was be still. Now I didn't know that's that was scripture. Yeah. But when I I could taste it on my lips, all I kept hearing was be still. I didn't know what that meant. Yeah. Be, be still. still be still. Know. Be still. Yeah. And you know the scripture: be still, for I am God. I'll be exalted in the heavens and the earth. Mm-hmm. That scripture that it saved my life because I was ready to go. I was out of here. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't wow. want to talk to any pastors. My mom, I was done. I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to talk to God. I was like, bro, I'm done. Yeah. Nothing to talk about. Like, this is my life, right? This is what you want. Right. So I'm out of here. And that, that for some reason, I just kept hearing, be still, be still. And the next three or four days was just quiet. I didn't come out of my room. I didn't eat. It was like the quietest three or four days I've ever had in my life. Mm-hmm. And I don't. I didn't know why. It was just peaceful. That's what I was going to ask. Were you at peace during that time? Or was I it? was. Okay. Yeah. So- Poise, a characteristic that you got from your father. Mm-hmm. At this time, were you aware of his um, his his mistreatment in terms of stepping out of the marriage? And no, it sounds like he had a thing with women too. Yeah, no, he he wasn't. I wasn't aware at this point. Okay, no, this didn't come till later, like years later. Okay. Do you, at any point did you was there an aha moment? Like, oh, this is where I get it from, or your actions are your actions. His actions are his actions. I believe a bit of both. Um, I, I honestly believe now that my actions are my actions. Yeah. And the lack of me addressing my issues um, is what led to me running to women every time something went wrong or running to them every time I was bored. Yeah. Like that started when I was young. And because I didn't take it seriously as far as like addressing my issues. Yeah. It just, it was a seed that kept growing. Right. You know, things you don't take care of when you're a baby, they grow, they grow with you. Yeah. They don't, they don't, they never separate if you don't separate it yourself. Yeah. And I have men in my life, brother Al from my old church, Ryan, um, brother KB, just men that were around. Even my brothers that I met in Texas, like Shamar, Nate, mm-hmm. TC, my brothers and I, they were like, bro, this issue right here with, with these women, you got to cut that out. Yeah. That's, that's going to evolve into something else you won't be able to control later on in life. Yeah. And a lot of men my age are paying for mistakes they made when they were your age. Yeah. So you need to to chill out. Like you need to really sit down and reevaluate yourself with these women. So I think it was me. I'm not gonna put that on my dad. I mean, my dad had his own struggles for his own reasons. Yeah. Um, but I think the character is similar because I'm poised like he is. Yeah. Even though I tried growing up to be a you know gangster, gangbanger, it didn't work. But yeah, I think a sense, yes, yes and no, pretty much. Um I'm going to throw a word out there. I want to see how you react. Okay. Accountable. Mm. Are we talking about me accepting accountability or just first thing come to my mind? Are, are we talking about that? Man, that's that's a good word. Um, accountable. 
I would say the way my life looked in my 20s and how it looks now is, I would say, a great, great, great majority is my fault. Or it's not my fault, but it's on me. Mm -hmm. Um, I wasn't focused on the right things growing up when I was a kid. I wasn't focused on the right things after I graduated high school. Um, I wasn't focused on, you know, growth. Um, I wasn't focused on career. I wasn't focused on any of that. And so it took me a while because for, you know, when you start to realize like your life is passing by, like you get in your late 20s and then you're, you're like, what have I really accomplished? And then you start to, the blame game is afoot. You're like, man, well, my dad wasn't there. This happened to me. And then, but then I sat there and I'm like, nah, that's not what it is. Like you didn't do what you were supposed to do. Like God has divine appointments. God has divine plans for you. God has these things that he expects you to do or, you know, he has plans laid out for you. Mm -hmm. Yes. But if you're not submissive on any level at any time, yeah. then your life is a product of what you chose not to do or what you chose to do. Opportunity cost. So it's, it's like I had to really understand that. And it also gave me the understanding of you can't just do whatever you want to do yeah. and think it's going to work out because you claim to believe in what you believe in. Yeah. Because that's the thing that I, I kind of fell victim to as well as, you know, if you do something for God or you're a Christian, then... You know, like you gotta work it out in Santa Third, that that kind of principle. And I'm like, nah, you have to live a life that you, you know, you have to walk these steps out. You have to put some action to your words and your beliefs. Right. And so, yeah, accountable. Gotcha. That's that's a that's a word. Yeah, that's a word. That's man. a word. That's, that's, yeah. that's a daily uh it's a daily assessment. And it's still a struggle for me sometimes because there are things that I don't want to be accountable to that I need to be. Like what? If you don't mind me asking you. Um having conversations with my son. Okay. Right. Cool, um, cool young dude, by the way. Cool, cool young dude. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. He got a little twist now. You feeling himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But no, because of, because of the relationship that I had with my father, and again, we were both uh, culpable for the distance between us. He's at the age now where I didn't, where I tried to avoid conversation with my father. Okay. That's not his character. That's not his personality at all. But I still struggle with, the cool versus the um, um, the parent. I mean, it, it, it's like finding the, a balance. The, the, yeah, the, it's, and, it, and I used to say cool versus authoritative because you can be a thought, but that's not right because you can be authoritative and still have a good relationship. Right, right. But it's the, but what if he doesn't want to talk to me? Right. Like I didn't want to, mm -hmm. right? Then there's the, oh, because I didn't have that conversation, it led to A, B, C, and D. Right? Right. And it's, ah, I want to protect him from A, B, C, and D. And we had a conversation last time. I was like, man, I don't, I struggle with how tough I, like tough is relative. I right. don't want you to be tough, but I want you to have experiences that um, don't leave you confused at 31. And it's the first time you experience something that rubs you the wrong way. How do you react? Exactly. Are you poised? Because you have the information and you have the experience to draw from, right? Mm -hmm. You can't pull out of you anything that wasn't put in you. Exactly. So I, 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 I that's part of why this podcast came to be, right? right. To hold myself accountable, to right. make sure that there's a dialogue, whether it's directly with me and him or it's conversations like this that would give him access to information. Okay. Right? Because mm -hmm. there's also, what do your parents know? There's that. There's that phase, right? Right. And right. I have a 19 year old. So I have a 19 year old, a 16 year old, 15 year old, a nine year old, and a seven year old. Mm -hmm. So I got all of these phases, right, in the parallel same, at the same time. Yeah. Right. And what we miss with 19, do we? Are we gonna miss that with 16 and 15, nine and seven? I guess we're a little bit more conscious because mm -hmm. it was such a space of time before we started. You know, hit the reset button on kids. Uh, but yeah, those are those. That's that's one major thing that um, that's probably the most meaningful thing. Um, it's just being a father and a husband, right? There, there, there are times that you have to have tough conversations, and they're easily avoidable in the vein of keeping the peace. Mm -hmm. um, but that doesn't serve me or my family, uh, and it doesn't bode well. Um, it it doesn't it doesn't reflect what the position and the expectation that God has to me in these roles that He's entrusted to me. Right, daily struggle. 
right? right? Uh, and and I'm cool with it because I, I like I think it's a healthy think healthy conflict grows p grows me. I'll just say for me, right? Yeah. I like I like the healthy conflict. Um, but when when did I feel like now at 31, correct? 31. 31. Yeah. And we said that there was maybe a couple years leading up to this phase of life that you're in now. I feel like all of this points to a level of accountability that you have to accept mm-hmm. or measure yourself to. That's the barometer. Like, how are you dealing with accountability in this phase? And what does this phase look like? So this phase looks promising, but a little bit scary. Not going to lie, um, because even though I feel like I'm growing mentally, emotionally, intellectually, um, I'm only 31. Yeah. And so I'm still learning the consequences of not making the right decision, the consequences of not spending your money correctly, the consequences of not keeping the right people around. Um, so I'm dealing with accountability now. I'm taking it as it comes and I'm, um, I'm learning to forgive myself for messing up. Mm. I'm learning to forgive myself for going through the process because I don't I don't know everything. And I'm also learning to keep people around me who understand that I'm going to mess up, yeah. who understand that they give me a safe space to grow and to make mistakes. And they're going to pick me up. They're not going to kick me when I'm down. What What does forgiving yourself look like? Because that's that's an expression that gets thrown around. Like, don't be so hard on you. We all make mistakes. Forgive yourself. But that's more of an active concept than it is passive. And I think people pretty much see it as this switch that that kind of flips that I'm over it or no in my opinion it's not about so much getting over it in my opinion it's about embracing what happened and forcing yourself to sit with it and to accept that it happened for a reason hmm. and that um the reason whether you know so you or not yeah it's gonna if if you allow it it'll help you in the long run yeah. Because I can take a situation that hurt me and I can choose to let it fester. Mm-hmm. Or I can take that same situation and choose to learn from it. Yeah. Now, that is relative to whoever we're talking about. People, they break down situations differently. Some people are more quick to forgive others. And the ones that are quick to forgive others, they're more avid to forgiving themselves and seeing situations from different vantage points. Mm. Whereas people who have a harder time forgiving others they have a harder time forgiving themselves as well. Yeah. And those are the ones you find that I found, not you know, but but for me, those are the people that I found take everything a lot harder yeah. than the group over here. Yeah. And so when I learned that because forgiveness was hard for me too, because I wasn't forgiven in my in my opinion, when I was in the, the situation that, that church situation framed a lot of my life. Yeah. And so when I when I felt I wasn't forgiven, I said every single time someone does something, cut them off. Every single time someone hurts you, get rid of them. Mm. replace them, like shun them, ostracize them. Don't, don't deal with it. So it, I had to learn how to forgive others. And for me, when I learned how to forgive others and I understood that everyone's human and I'm going to need forgiveness one day myself because I'm not, I'm not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Um, When I understood that um, it also opened up a different realm of understanding problems as they arise. Mm. And I ended up looking at issues and problems as, opportunities to learn versus man i hate that happen yeah like i hate that like why did that i hate that happen this but whoever's attached to the situation i don't want to see you i don't want to talk to you like that like when you're when you're focused more on learning from something then the energy towards it also shifts yeah and so when i shifted my energy towards understanding and towards you know the 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 growth aspect of it that's how i learned to forgive myself yeah and it's not me saying oh it happened i'm over it and I think it's like you said, everyone has it's, it's subjective. Everyone has their own definition nowadays and it's, it's loosely thrown around. It is very loose. But um, for me, that's what it was, is recognizing that um, every situation, there is a, a lesson in a situation, even yeah. if it's self-inflicted. There's a lesson in it. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I commend you on um, understanding that and um, internalizing that at your age. Really happens a lot later for a lot of people I know, self-included. Because uh, you can mask it with other things. And I think being single may be not having a family right, right, right now mm-hmm. um, may allow you the space to actually deal with you, right? Um, and I don't know what else 
what else what I, your other interests are. But I know for me, it was easy to say I'm focusing on my family, knowing there were some things that I need to deal with with me. But mm-hmm. because the role says a father and a husband does this, and I've said it before, I focused on the mechanics. Mm-hmm. What it looked like in my mm-hmm. house and outside my house, and thought I was doing something, but I wasn't dealing with the uh, with the real issues. Um, yeah, it's an interesting story. There's a, a couple of themes I, I like. I like how you uh, I like how you address the accountability aspect, but ministry is a recurring theme in this conversation. Is is the couch your ministry? That's a good question. Um, I would say the couch is an outlet. Um, I feel my ministry is communication. And I say that because wherever I walk, wherever I go, wherever I live, young people are drawn to me. And it's not because of, I don't think because of how I look or how I dress. I just think it's because of how I communicate. Mm-hmm. I go into every situation looking to respect people. Yeah. And I think when they they meet someone that's not trying to be hard, that's not trying to be a certain image, it lets them, it gives them silent permission to just be themselves. That, that happens a lot. Yeah. And so um, I think the ministry is me. The ministry is is you. You know, like you're, these are the the equipment, the platform. These are ways that you express. Yep. You know, so I think the couch is an outlet that I, that I use to you know just communicate, and um, it all plays into ministry, in my opinion. What is a successful? Um, and we're wrapping. Uh, what What is a successful picture of ministry look like for you? Effectiveness. Effectiveness. I would rather be a no name and be effective than have a major platform and never touch a soul. Hmm. So, um, yeah, I think effectiveness is, is where that lies. I've I've seen people speak a sentence to somebody and change their lives. Yeah, and then I've seen people think, you know, that because they're trying to further their name or you know different things, because now it's such an image driven society we live in. Mm-hmm. And although the platform and you being this big person might get you, might get eyeballs on you, are yeah. they staying on you? Are, yeah. are they walking away changed? Are they walking away learning anything right. that they can take with them in a real situation? Is right. it surface level stuff? Is it is it depth to you? Like, is it is it depth to your, your conversation? So um, I think that's that's my opinion. You yeah. know, it's just my own personal opinion is being effective is, is that's that's a that's a qual- that's ministry with quality yep. is when you're effective. Completely agree. I think that's a great way to um, a great way to frame it. Um, a great expectation to set and to live by. And if that governs your activities in the vein or in the name of ministry, I think you'll be fine, man. Um, I am I am very focused on meaningful content, right? So I'm not a number. It's not a numbers game for me. I wanted to reach and affect the people that it's supposed to, and hopefully, you know, as as God allows. That's many people, mm-hmm. but I understand the place. Like I, I understand the source of 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 why you're doing it. Right? It's 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 genuine. It's pure, and um, the right people will get it at the right time, man. But let's remind people uh, so that we can we can help them get to that information uh, again. Where can you be found? Um, I guess social media, whatever you want to, whatever you want to plug, social media. Um, and or the couch or how that's related. Um, is it up on uh, the streaming platforms yet? Not yet. Mm-hmm. I know we talked about it. Not yet. It's coming. It's mm-hmm. coming. Um, it will be on YouTube, I would say, by Sunday. Because okay. all the episodes that I've dropped on my Instagram and on the couch platform, um, they're ready to be uploaded. Okay. I just have to upload them. So, yeah. um, But you can find me at Posh Forest, P-O-S-H-F-O-R-E-S-T, two R's, like Forrest Gump. Um, you can find the couch. Uh, this is the couch on Instagram, and then the YouTube is this is the couch as well. So um, very straightforward. All of my social media is Posh Forest. Got right? it. Twitter, Instagram, all of that's the same. Appreciate you coming on this platform, man. Um, to my to my listeners, if you're not subscribed by now, what are you doing with your life? <laughs> Get it all together. Right, um, subscribe. It's only exactly. right. Exactly. If you're on YouTube, um, what's good? I appreciate you ingesting the visual experience. Uh, the Dear Son Network is a channel on Roku. So all you have to do is type in Dear Son Network and you'll have access to this platform, uh, to the entire platform, which houses this, 
houses uh, healthy marriages dope, which is a conversation uh, that I have uh, my wife and I have on camera, uh, and it gets real. Um, and then mm-hmm. there's uh, a couple of other series that I'm working on, working on the health series, and um, just some other things that I'm very very excited about, and uh, I will be announcing in the near future. Um, that's going to do it for this installment. Uh, we appreciate you guys. God bless you. Peace. The Dear Son Podcast is produced by D. John's Live Studios. All rights reserved. Don't forget to rate and review this podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform. We'll see you here next time. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.